1: All right, just before we get started, um, just a couple quick announcements and a reminder that I'm doing my best to put more details into the church app for announcements so that it doesn't turn into like 10 minutes of announcements from up front. But a couple of of few, couple quick things. First of all, we meet here at 4 p.m. And the encouragement we're giving to our body right now is to use 4 p.m. in all the ways possible to make much of Jesus. We're still looking for um, another space uh, if God opens that up, but for right now, he's given us this time to be able to use for his glory. And one of the ways we're encouraging that is to think through like, what can I do in that early afternoon as a way to bring people together and then come to the gathering at 4 p.m. So Rick got a bunch of people together. They skied out of Birch Hill this afternoon, getting ready to come at 4 p.m. So I want to encourage you. How does God want to use you to uh, welcome people here, to make this space into a place that 4 p.m. becomes in some ways of a, a badge of honor as we worship together. So I want to encourage you to think through that. How does is, how is God want to use you, your unique gifts and abilities uh, to to for us to gather well at 4 p.m.? Um, second thing, we've got gender identity and the Bible. We had that this last Friday, it was awesome. Uh, we're gonna have another one this Friday at 7 p.m. If you can reach out to me if you want to be a part of that or through the app because uh, this will be one of our last ones gathering and we'll either do it here or, or depending on how many people we have, we're going to do it at my house. So if you can let me know so I can figure out which place we're, we're going to do that at, that'd be uh, great. We're wrapping that up, um, here pretty soon. So if you haven't been to the previous ones, that's okay. You can come in and jump in on that as well. And then November 26th, we have a super something, uh, after the gathering that date. So please bring a meal to share, um, Let's pray together before we jump into God's word. Father in heaven, thank you once again, as we do every week, for your word, that your word is truth, and that it's something more and more we have to uh, not only just know with our mind, but also allow to seep into our heart, to guide our life, to direct our, um, our actions, the way we respond uh, to a broken and sin-filled world, Jesus. Um, God, help us, help us to be moved by the radical forgiveness you've given us so that we can extend that to others. We pray this in your name, amen. One of the things I would say is the greatest trait of followers of Jesus is astronomical forgiveness. You may say, wait a minute, no, I, maybe it's love. And then I would say, if you think about it, love demonstrated is best seen in our ability to forgive someone who sinned against us. So let me, first of all, the story that that we just read from Matthew 18 is a showcase of this. But I want to give you another example of what this looks like. This is from an excerpt from a counseling book called Gospel Conversations. And it's a story from from about the mid-1800s. An African-American named Charlie had been enslaved by Master Bill before the Civil War. With repeatedly, Charlie finally escaped to the north where he fought for the Yanks in the war. 30 years later in the 1890s, Charlie, now an old man, visits the town where he had been enslaved. With a large crowd in the downtown area, Charlie and Master Bill spot each other across the street. Master Bill hollers out, Charlie, do you remember me? Yes, Master Bill, I still remember you. Charlie, do you forgive me for how I mistreated you? By now, a large crowd has stopped to listen to this exchange, shouted across the street. Charlie responds that indeed he had forgiven Master Bill years earlier when Charlie became a Christian. Astonished with tears in his eyes, Master Bill walks across the street, hand held out, and asks, how could you forgive me? Be amazed by Charlie's response. I love you, though you never hit me a lick, for the God I serve is a God of love. Those who interviewed Charlie about this event couldn't understand how Charlie could respond like this. Charlie understood. Christ changes people. Here's how he described it in his own words. Now I had felt the power of God and tasted his love, and this had killed all the spirit of hate in my heart years before this happened. Whenever a man has been killed, dead and made alive in Christ Jesus, he no longer feels like he did when he was a servant of the devil. Sin kills dead, but the spirit of God makes alive. I didn't know that such a change could be made, for in my younger days, I used to be a hellcat. Astronomical forgiveness. Out of this world, seemingly crazy forgiveness. Now, none of us here have experienced pre-Civil War slavery. But we all have likely experienced hurt from another believer, and in many cases, deep hurts, deep wounds that just don't go away quickly. This happens in I don't every single church body it happens across human society. I mean this is what causes people to leave churches. A lack of forgiveness causes us to horribly react towards each other and and when the watching world sees a church that does not practice forgiveness, they see something that is completely anti-Jesus. So we can either allow a forest of bitterness to grow and consume our hearts when someone sins against us, or we can allow Jesus to free us through astronomical forgiveness. So if, you, if we look at this text, Matthew 18, I'm just going to read the first two verses. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him. As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus just got done addressing the question among the disciples, who is the greatest? That's what we talked about this last Sunday. He teaches them that their identity is that of kids and children who are humbly and completely dependent on their father's authority and position. And as brothers following Jesus, then they must live in that humility towards each other. And we see that that first living of humility is them pursuing each other with the same love that God pursued them. That means like if they see their brother sin, and they see them going away from Jesus Christ, they should pursue them in that love. And so coming off the heels of that, Peter asked yet another question. And like last Sunday we see a driving question for the text and a driving answer. So first of all, we got a driving question. Peter comes then off the heels of Jesus' teaching and asks, well, how often will I need to forgive my brother? As many as seven times? There could be many reasons why he says this specifically because the the Pharisees were teaching at that time you forgive someone up to three times. After that, there's no more room for forgiveness. So by Peter saying... As many as seven times means that he's going twice as much, over twice as much as what the, what the Pharisees were saying. So maybe that's coming out of pride and self-satisfaction. Look how generous I am for giving my brother seven times. Or maybe it's a, it's a student's answer, where he's, he's hearing about this way of living in humility in what Jesus just described in, in the previous verses, And he's thinking, okay, well, maybe three isn't enough. Maybe seven, because seven is God's number. Maybe that shows a better perfection. But it shows, regardless, that Peter still doesn't quite understand the right perspective of God and the right perspective of his brothers. His view of God and of his brothers still needs to be adjusted. So Jesus shares this parable, a parable. It's like a story with a big kick in it to drive home what Jesus has just been teaching about living humbly towards your brothers. And that's where we get the driving answer. Jesus starts off with an answer before he jumps into the story. He says, not just seven times, but 70 times. The point behind this answer is to make Peter feel the weight of forgiveness. It's not a legalistic answer. You don't need to worry about, like, counting, okay, have I for five times, six times, seven times, and keep going until you reach 70? Okay, fine. I finally reached the end. That's that's not the point at all. Because, honestly, if you've been forgiving that long, you've probably lost track regardless. It's, It's to put this weight, to point to this astronomical forgiveness, the series of forgiveness, the availability of forgiveness... And it's also meant to help Peter see how small he is, how small even, even the generosity of his heart still isn't God-sized. It's still not God-sized yet. So Jesus shares this answer, and he shares this story to help adjust Peter and the rest of the disciples' understanding of God and each other. So we also must let this parable, this story, adjust our hearts towards one another, adjust our hearts of God. Jesus preaches radical forgiveness being a normal part of our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters who follow Jesus. The only way to have that kind of radical forgiveness like the story about Charlie is we've got to know the extent of our debt towards God, know the extent of others' debts toward us, and then act accordingly. So let's jump into the story. Starting in 18 verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made." So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So first of all, we've got an astronomical debt. And, and, and this is highlighted in a couple of ways. One is, is you have a role distinction. You have a master and you have a servant. And this highlights even our relationship in many ways with, with God. He's at a different plane. He's in a different role. He has authority. And so when the servant owes master an astronomical debt, this role is even more highlighted. And so the, the master in many ways deserves to leverage his wrath, his authority to bring punishment on this servant who has this Debt. Now I want to help you understand why this is an astronomical debt. A talent, uh, I read in one commentary, is about six thousand days' wages. Six thousand one. One talent is six thousand days' wages. So if you you can do the math and start calculating it out, but basically at this time, this is a, like a. a Prince's, like, wealth is what this is. It's like a nation's gross domestic product. It's a huge astronomical debt. And that's the point. Like, the story that Jesus is sharing is not like someone listening at that time and hearing it and being like, oh, yeah, I remembered when Joe owed that much. No, that's not the point. It's, it's purposely this extravagant amount to capture the attention of those who are listening. And we know that in, in God's economy, sin accrues in astronomical debt, and evil must be dealt with. So while the response may seem harsh, when you understand the level of debt and the reality that this servant is not going to be able to pay it off, you can see how this, this servant just welcomed this type of punishment into his life. But then we see this humble and remorseful response. What does he do? Like, like anyone who is would, would be in this situation, he knows the debt is overwhelming. There is no hope. And so he throws himself down and begs for mercy. Have patience, I will repay. I mean, this is, this is a desperate response, and the reality is, is there's this... <laughs> It's, it's, it's not true. He's not going to be able to pay it off. Like, there's no way we understand how much he owes that there's going to be a, a time for him to pay it off. This is just out of desperation of like, how can I not suffer what's coming towards me? He knows he can't pay it off. The master knows it. And the only way we can know the s- s- sincerity of his response is only going to be told by the rest of the story. Does what he received from the master take root in his heart. And that's where we see the master assuming the debt. The debt doesn't magically get taken away. If the master chooses forgiveness, he must swallow the lost income. He must take the debt on himself. But for the servant, the only way for him to live, for, his, for, for him not to go to jail forever, for his family not to be put into slavery is complete and total forgiveness. And, and if, if you look specifically at verse 27, you see this progression that happens that leads to this grace to be given to a servant who owes this debt. First, you see this pity and compassion. When you read through the story of Matthew, there's these key moments where you see the compassion of Jesus as this driver of, This indication of how God views broken repentant sinners. His pity and compassion drives him. Pity for the one who's under the weight, who's up against the odds, who needs help, who has no hope like the servant. While his wrath is justified, compassion is still given. And then we see that the the master releases him. The bonds are no longer holding the servant. He's no longer tied by his mistakes and his extreme debt. The master has freed the servant and assumed the debt. The debt is forgiven. The offense and the lie is removed. Freedom has been given to the servant. That lie that somehow the servant could manage to repay it is taken away. And, and, And if we pause right here in the story and we look at this, this is the gospel When we look at it, that God takes pity on us as as sinners who have this extravagant debt, this astronomical debt, and then what Jesus does in order to make a way for forgiveness to happen is he assumes our debt on the cross. When when he is hanging up there, going through one of the, the worst forms of death known to mankind, and that's just the tip because it's representing the spiritual debt he assumed, taking on the wrath of God upon the cross. Because we can't fix that relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do. We can work our entire life off, and yet that is still not enough. It's not a good enough work. And without Christ's intervention, we suffer the wrath of God, And when uh, and, and we see Jesus in the previous part of Matthew 18, referencing that that there is an eternal weight to the wrath of God in hell. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, in his accomplished work on the cross when we trust in him and, and he assumes that debt and we are made free that's that's what charlie got in that story at the beginning when when you're free and how that changes you and what that means it's everything because not only did jesus assume the debt but he showed that he had paid it off because he rose from the dead and paved the pathway to life now now we intentionally preach gospel centered sermons if you miss the gospel or you have gospel amnesia, where you forget what Christ has done for you, then you're going to miss what life is all about and how to live in response to that and what that looks like. I mean, I mean, right here, I mean, you, you get this. You can imagine, like, man, if that debt removed, it's worth celebrating. That's worth praising God over. It's like that song we are singing, like Lazarus, like rising from the grave, being set free from the bonds of death. That's what happens to us when our faith is in Jesus Christ. And, and if you're here and your faith is not in Jesus, that astronomical debt is still on your shoulders. It's still on your shoulders. There hasn't been payment made for it. And, and, and that's why we gather as a people. That's what God, God's role for the church is, is that we can bring that message of astronomical forgiveness to those who are still living in darkness. But here's the thing. It's, it's easy to end the story right here. It's easy to be like, oh, sweet, that's a good message. Let's go, let, let, let's go home. Let's have dinner. But that's not the end of the gospel, is it? That the gospel, had, if, if we put our faith in the good news of what Jesus accomplished on us for the cross, that changes our life. It, th- th- there's a response when our life is changed. It shows us that we've actually, where our faith actually is. Because if we understand the extent of our debt and what God has forgiven us of, then we'll clearly see the extent of others' debt towards us. So let's continue in verse 28. Our acceptance of the astronomical forgiveness of God will determine how we forgive others and if we forgive others. Like the previous passages in Matthew 18, Jesus is highlighting that the Father's pursuit of us should be mirrored in how we pursue others and And there's a reality here that, like, yeah, when people sin against us, like there's a debt that can be accrued there, there there is harm that's done when people sin against us but But if you can imagine in the first half of the story, if there was like a chain between the master and this original servant. And then the master forgives, that chain is broken. Well, now we see that same thing repeated. There, there, there's a debt between the second servant and the original servant. And it's like there's a chain there, but instead of it being broken, it's held onto. And so this shows whether the, the effect of the master's forgiveness on the heart of that original servant. How will we respond? And what's amazing about how Jesus words this story is he doesn't give Any time between when the original servant is released to when he goes and seeks his fellow brother servant. It's like there's this forest of bitterness in his heart and he's just been waiting for that moment to go and take it out on this other servant. It's not just like a bitter root. This bitter root has fully grown to the point where he acts immediately. But let's look at like some of the Differences we see in in this response versus what the original servant experienced with the master. First, we don't see that that role distinction. They're both servants. Not only are they both servants, so there's not like this master-servant relationship going on. It's more like a brother relationship. But they're both debtors. Like the original servant's a debtor, and now his fellow brother's also a, a, a debtor. The other servant doesn't have a right to hold the other's debt against him because he's imperfect. He also had a debt as well. And then there's the difference in the debt itself. It's, it's incredible, the difference between this. Like, if you did the math, uh, if a, one talent equals 6,000 Day's wages. That means 10,000 talents is roughly 10 million days' wages. That's incredible. <laughs> and a denarii equals one day's wages. So the second service, this, this servant, this brother servant owes 100 days' wages versus 10 million days' wages that the original servant owed to the master. So the original servant's debt is roughly 100,000 times bigger than his brother's servant's debt. And, which is interesting, because where it was impossible for the original servant to pay off a debt, this one, even if there was a little bit of mercy, this, this second servant could feasibly pay the debt over time. And then we also see a difference in response. He chokes the man. Instead of being consumed with his master's grace he is consumed with his brother's debt. And then we get this humble and remorseful response. It's almost verbatim to what the original servant did with with the master. The servant is there, he's begging. And while his debt isn't insignificant, he knows it and he's begging. Please have patience on me, I'll pay it over time. But instead of forgiveness, the debt is held on to. The fellow servant is put into jail until he pays off the debt, which if you're in jail, there's there's no way that you can pay the debt off. So consumed in bitterness and greed, the original servant does not want to pay the price of grace. He doesn't want to see the debt assumed. He does not want to extend forgiveness to free his brother. And it shows that the original servant never found freedom in the first place. And so that leads us to the last part. If we get the debt we owe God, and we see the difference between the debt we owe God and the debt others owe us, we need to act accordingly. And so we see a reckoning happen, verses 31 through 35. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So the master has another encounter with this original servant, and he calls the servant wicked. Why? Because his heart has been revealed, not having changed at all by what had been offered to him. I mean, he'd been offered forgiveness. There was pity that was there, but he didn't take that then and extend it to someone else. And and that's where the question that the master asks, he says, and and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so the master is righteous in his anger towards this unforgiving servant. And the weight of debt is put on him again. And Jesus tells Peter, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we got to remember the context if you go all the way back to the beginning of Matthew 18, the disciples had been arguing about who is the greatest. I mean, bad blood is brewing between the disciples. So Jesus first is showing, hey, remember, your disposition first is, is humility. And he goes further, the shows that to live humbly, not only do you pursue one another when sin comes into your community, but also you need to radically forgive one another. When we forgive, we recognize that Jesus assumed and covered our debt and so he also covers the debt for, of those who have our brothers and sisters as well. So when they sin against us, that debt has been covered by Jesus. It's letting Jesus assume the debt for them. That's the power of the gospel. That's what gives us the ability to give astronomical forgiveness. Because you're You're able to understand the debt that's been given for you. So it's like, yeah, no, you don't forgive just once. Not three times, not seven times. As many times as it takes to mirror the forgiveness that has been extended to you. And this principle is not new. This isn't the first time Jesus has taught this. In fact, this Jesus, when we first see it in Matthew, happens right after the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, and neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And this gets to the point. The greatest and most defining trait of a Christian is radical, astronomical forgiveness. Because if we're not, if we're not extending that forgiveness to others, it's showing that we never believed the gospel in the first place at all. That's the first indicator is like to be able to extend that forgiveness. And to me, I I think this is one of the most powerful messages for the church right now as a community. We are called to be light in this world. We are called to be like salt, a preservative that keeps things from decay and brokenness. Forgiveness is a fundamental part to being a Christian. So if if we're going to grow and move to make a difference in this city we need to be able to have this type of relationship between, between us. We need to live in radical, radical forgiveness between one another. We, not only do we need to go after each other when there is sin in a loving way to be able to pull people back from following a road that pulls away from Christ, but when there's someone coming asking for forgiveness, we need to extend it from the heart. Now notice the little tagline at the very end of this, from your heart. So if someone comes up and says, like, will you please forgive me? And you say the words, I forgive you. Like, it's not just magical words that makes things go away. It has to do everything with your heart towards them. And and, and one thing that, that God taught me in forgiveness from the heart is that Fighting bitterness is sometimes an everyday battle. That's, that's another thing. Is sometimes you think like, man, if I say I forgive you, like, oh, sweet, it's all done with. Everything's nice and rosy and you can wake up in the morning and your heart's right and you can just go along with the day. But what happens when you feel that surge of remembering what someone did against you the next day? So if you forgave them on Monday and you wake up Tuesday, what do you do? You have to live in forgiveness. You have to depend on Jesus for that moment. When that bitterness comes up again, you realize, oh, wait. Yeah, I still got to rely on the forgiveness that Jesus has given me and continually extend that to other people. And the way we do that, Jesus shows through the way that the master responded to that original servant. First, first we got to look at them through, through a new lens. We have to have compassion and have mercy. we got to remember how God viewed us when he loved us while we were still sinners that we can ex- have that view change. And then to release your brother. They, they don't owe you anything. Just stop holding the chain. And then forgive them. Let Jesus assumed their debt. Why? Because Jesus assumed yours. Because you can't pay their debt for them. It's impossible. But where they can find forgiveness and security is in Christ. And we can rest assured that he's already taken care of that much larger debt for us. It, you can see this, even in a conversation that happened this week, it, it, was, it was actually hard to listen to because it was someone who had a relative that was holding on to bitterness, holding on to that. We see this in families. We see this in friendships. We see this all across, not our world, but we see this in the church as well where this can spring up. And so, so what I would say is, is you know, as we take this and we're wondering, okay, how do I apply this? Who do you need to have compassion on and forgive? Is there roots of bitterness that are starting to form where you've got to go back to that gospel of grace and remember what Jesus has done for you to extend that forgiveness to someone? Is it your spouse, a friend, your kid, a coworker? And then the other thing I would say is just be on the alert. It's so easy for, for us to hold on and like let these accounts grow. But in relationships, it's almost like you know, mentally in your head, you're like keeping track of the wrongs that people have done to you. And uh, mentor, friend, um, and the <laughs> Lauren—a lot of you know him, Lauren Moral. He would he would always use that phrase of like, keep short accounts. Like when stuff comes up, just keep keep xing those out. Keep keep that forgiveness regular in your heart towards others and recognize the lies that will keep you from forgiveness. This is something I, have, I struggle with often, is I'll say something like, oh, they didn't really sin against me. It's not that big of a deal. And oftentimes when you start going down that road, it's, it's a passive way of just holding on to things and letting that account sit rather than actually dealing with it. And then also we can think like, man, they need to apologize first before I act in forgiveness towards them. And I believe this is also a lie where it's we can live in forgiveness towards people, even before they offer an apology. The thing I want to end on as I think about this idea of astronomical forgiveness is a, an account from a book called The Hiding Place written by Corey Ten Boom. And in her imprisonment, um, in a camp under Nazi Germany where her sister died, there was a particular um, German guard who basically watched all these women declothe in front of him, had this leering face. He's part of this whole concentration camp system. She remembered what he looked like because he had a scar on his face. Years later, after the war was done, she was. Uh, doing some ministry work, sharing about Jesus and about what he was doing, this man came up to her afterwards. Basically said something to the effect of, like, how wonderful it is that Jesus forgives sin. And in this moment, she's, like, writing this, that she could not bring it just in her power and in her strength to be able to forgive this man. And so she's just asking, God, can you do something in my heart to be able to do this? And that's when she writes this. And so I discovered that is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing uh, lingers, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. And so if we're gonna give astronomical forgiveness, it's not gonna come out of our power. It's not gonna come out of our strength. It's gonna come out of the astronomical forgiveness that's been given to us in Christ. And so, Every week we take communion together and we've got two communion tables up front, one in the back. Um, and when we go to the table, consider the astronomical forgiveness that was afforded to you because his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. And I, and I want to encourage, like sometimes we can carry the weight Of sin in our lives as as believers. We can carry the weight of others' sins and what's offered to us in Christ is that freedom. And so if you're coming in weighted down with a burden today, maybe you've been holding on to sin that you've needed to give to God, that you need to come humbly and remember that he set you free at the cross through the power of his death, through the power of his resurrection. I'd encourage you, run to the communion table if if you're hold, if you've been holding something an account against a brother, I would just say cry out to Jesus, like Corey Tinboom did, like Charlie did at the beginning of the story, and ask for that power to drive you to be able to forgive them from the heart because of what God has done for you. And if you're sitting with the world's, if you're sitting with that debt of sin weighing you down and you don't know how to get rid of it, you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'd love to walk you through that. I'd love to share the gospel with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, you, you treat this with godlike seriousness, our forgiveness towards one another. And it really does reveal in our hearts whether our faith was in you in the first place. And so what I ask, Jesus, for our church is that we'd be known for astronomical forgiveness. God, when we fall into those moments where we want to hold on to sins, where we want to let bitterness grow, help us to view people with that, that compassion, with that pity. Help us to see them in the way that you saw us. God, help us not to hold on to the chain, but break it, to offer forgiveness, to offer freedom. Because we're, we're all debtors. We've all been debtors. So Jesus, even as we take communion together, I just pray that this would just unify us in the forgiveness that you've offered us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen.